Welcome to Stories of Iceland. This is the fourth episode, Yule, not Christmas. Iceland is in the North Atlantic. Its capital city is Reykjavik. The first thing you need to know is that Icelanders don't celebrate Christmas. That is, the name of the holiday is Jól, and not the Mass of Jesus Christ. This word is also used in other Nordic countries in various forms. Jól, Jól, and Jula. Jól is derived from the same Germanic roots as the English word Yule. These two words, Jól and Yule, have been connected to the word Jolly, which implies that the festival was fun, but the original meaning of the word Yól is clouded in mystery. Some people see a connection with the word Sol, which is the Icelandic word for the sun. Another theory that I find rather appealing is that it is connected to the word hjól or wheel. The explanation is that at hjól the wheel of the year had come full circle. The Icelandic hjól and the ancient Germanic feast of Yule were winter solstice festivals not unlike the Roman Saturnalia which seems to be the precursor to Christmas. The feast was held at the time of year when the night was long. To understand how short the day is at this time of year, we can see, for instance, that in the north of Iceland, there are only about two and a half hours of sunlight at the winter solstice. But even that doesn't tell us the whole story. In many fjords in Iceland which are surrounded by mountains, the sun doesn't penetrate the inhabited areas for a long time. In some fjords, it is a month without even chance of sunlight, but in the western fjords, the head of the sheep-shaped island, it might be over two months. If you try to imagine how dark most of the day was, and for how long the dark lasted, you can easily put yourself in the sheepskin shoes of the Icelanders of old. They held a festival that signaled the end of the circle of the sun, which was about to start rising again, after a period of being mostly hidden. The urge to celebrate this time is likely almost an instinct in the human animal who understands the cycle of the sun. We cannot say for certain when the Feast of Eol was held. Icelanders of old did not use the Roman calendar, but instead used lunar months. The month that occupied the last days of November and most of December was likely called Ilir, which seems a relative of the word Eol. My own theory is that Eol 
were not held at a fixed point in time, but rather at some point during a period in the middle of winter. So Yule might have been held at a certain time in Iceland, but another time in Norway. But the sun would have been people's reference point. In Iceland today, there are set celebration days in towns which experience solar blackout during the winter. That day is when the sun can finally rise above the mountain and is called solar coffee, or sun coffee. Yol was a pagan feast. There is a connection to Odin, or Odin, the father of the gods, who was also called Yolfather, the father of Yol. This might evoke the name of Father Christmas and imply that Odin is a precursor to Santa Claus, but that seems unlikely, though not impossible. A 9th century poem about the Norwegian king Haraldur the Fairhaired claims that he wanted to drink at Jol and also play the games of the god Freyr. Freyr was a fertility god, so his game was likely lovemaking. Haraldur's son, Haukon the Good, is involved in a more substantial story about the Jol feast in the middle of the 10th century. Haukon had become Christian while he was a ward of the English king Adalstein. After he became the king of Norway, he made a law that the Jol feast should be celebrated at the same time as Christmas. This was the first step in the Christianization of the Nordic Jol feast. Haukon also levied a fine for those who didn't have ale and grain for the celebration of Jol. The feast was supposed to last until all of the ale had been consumed. When Haukon tried to convert Norwegians to Christianity, his subjects rebelled, burned the churches, and killed the priests. Haukon was then forced to participate in a heathen Jol feast. There he was forced to eat horse liver, since horse meat was a pagan food shunned by Christians. He also had to drink toasts to the Nordic gods, to Odin and Njordur, but, most importantly, to Freyr, who might bless them with peace and a good year. So Haukon failed in his attempt to bring Christianity to Norway. The Icelandic sagas are full of mentions of Jol. The consensus is that it was a feast with an emphasis on drinking that did not stop when Icelanders became Christian. We even have a mention of Jol in the Icelandic settlement in Greenland. In the centuries following the Christianization of Iceland, there's a build-up of folklore surrounding Jol. One of the most important things about Jol is that it is what folklorists refer to as a liminal time. It is a time when the supernatural is closer than at other times. There are stories of elves behaving strangely during Yuletide, but I think we can save that for a later episode. The oldest Yuletide song in Iceland might be a song whose lyrics are, in a nutshell, We have to make a good feast where I shall dance. I sing of King Pippin and his daughter Olaf. Then the refrain is, step harder on the floor. Don't spare your shoe. God knows where we will dance next, yo. The song has a quite interesting history. It is based on a chivalric saga. 
A tale from the court of King Pippin the Small of France and his son Emperor Charlemagne in the 8th century. The tale came to Iceland via England in the Middle Ages. At some point the saga was turned into a ballad. This might have been in the Faroe Islands because they still have the whole song, 178 verses long, about Olaf. The traditional view is that a part of the ballad returned to Iceland and just the verse and the refrain has survived. But we can't know if there was an Icelandic version of the ballad since the Lutheran church banned secular singing and dancing for a long while and most of our traditions were lost. It is noteworthy that in the Faroese lyrics the question is not where we shall dance next yol, but rather where we shall drink the next yol. That is a very old way of talking about the yol feast. One of the strange things about the song is that, other than the refrain, nothing in the saga or the ballad has any connection to yuletide. The strangest thing about the song is that the Faroese and Icelanders are to this day singing about French people from over a thousand years ago. The most famous Icelandic folklore at Yol involves the Yolasvenar or Yule lads and their mother, the troll Grilla. The character Grilla might be older than the settlement of Iceland. Early on, the connection between Grilla and Yol are almost non-existent. Other than that, as a supernatural being, she was more likely to visit humans during such liminal periods. It has been theorized that Grilla was a part of a mumming ritual, where people would dress up as this horrible creature and visit farms to scare children. What we do know that there are countless poems about her. One old song says that children need to get a bite of bread, a generous cut of sheep meat, candles and red clothes for Yol, but happily tells us that Grilla is dead. The children need clothes, not necessarily red ones, since that is just convenient to rhyme, to get out of bed. The explanation is that everybody had to have clean clothes for Yol. If you only had one set of clothes, then you had to wait in bed while your clothes were being washed and hung out to dry. Getting new clothes also protected children from the Yule cat, who ate children who didn't get any new clothes. Another poem, which was written by a priest in the 17th century, tells us about Grilla and goes into detail about how horrible she is. Let's hear that being sung by Olina Thorin Isleifsdottir, who was born in 1880 and was recorded singing about Grilla when she was 84 years old. Ég þekki Grílu og ég hef hana séð, hún er bæði ófríð og ítlileg með, hún er bæði ófríð og ítlileg með, hún er svo ófríð að höfðum verum þrjú, þó er ekkert minn enn á mið aldra kú, þó er ekkert minn enn á mið aldra kú. According to the song, Grilla has at least three heads, 
none of its are smaller than that of a middle-aged cow. She has eyes of fire, a chin-beard, and the mouth of a female dog. More than anything, she wants to eat naughty children. Despite all her flaws, the poem tells us that she is married to Lapaludi, whose name means one who wears ragged clothes. Then we are told about her children, the Yule lads, who are said to be as tall as giants, and they are as dangerous to children as their mother. In a law from 1746, which deals with house discipline, it is proclaimed that the stupid custom of scaring children with tales of the Yule lads should be abolished. So we can see a shift that comes with Enlightenment views to Iceland, but the tradition kept going. Each part of the country had its own collection of Yule lads. We have around 77 names of these lads. Most importantly, in the great folklore collection of Jón Árnason, which was published in the mid-19th century. In the later part of the 19th century, the Yulads began to change, as did the festival itself. Christmas was being homogenized all over. A lot of credit goes to Charles Dickens and his novel Christmas Carol, though some people tend to overstate his influence. They forget Clement Moore's poem, The Night Before Christmas, which tells the story of a visit from St. Nicholas, which made Santa Claus famous. So the Yule lads, along with the tiny Nissar of Scandinavia and other regional holiday figures, begin to merge with this new international icon who gives children presents while still keeping some of their individuality. In about 1930, the Yule lads started to wear the red uniform of Santa. In 1932, the Icelandic poet Johannes Urköttlum, along with the artist Tryggvi Magnusson, published the book Yuletide Comes. It starts with a poem that states the children should at least get candles and playing cards as gifts at Yule. But more importantly, it is the seminal work on the Yule lads. Johannes used the names of the Yule lads from his own region. That region is a boot-shaped fjord beneath the head of our sheep-shaped island. These names had all been published in the folklore collection of Jón Arnason. Well, all but one. Johannes left out a Yule lad called Skirtlifter and replaced him with Door Slammer. If this had happened today, it would have been called political correctness gone mad. But Johannes did not cut out the one called window peeper. The standard Yule lads of Johannes Rukatlum are 13. This is a happy number since the first lad comes 13 nights before Yule, and the last one leaves on the 13th day of Yule. The Yule lads in the poems of Johannes are theming, but they are also more silly than menacing. They each have their own signature crime, most of which revolve around stealing food. One is a fan of the Icelandic skir, and another steals candles, which might not sound like food, but the traditional Icelandic candles 
were made of lamb's fat, so they could be eaten. Their mother Grilla is still dangerous to children, and the Yule cat still goes after children who didn't get any new clothes before Yule. The poem that Johannes wrote about the Yule cat is the masterpiece of the book. It describes this enormous and awful cat, but it ends up in a lesson about the unfairness of poverty. Typical of the poet, who in 1941 was a member of Althingi for the Socialist Party, Björk Guðmundsdóttir, Iceland's most famous singer, has recorded the definite version of the poem in a song. So, in the 1930s, the Yule lads had gotten quite a big makeover, but there is still the conflict of the Icelandic tradition embodied by the poems of Johannes with the more international one. So we get a strange amalgam. The Yule lads start to give children presents, one after another, on 13 days leaning up to Yule. These presents are put in a shoe which Icelandic children put on their windowsill. Each morning, kids check the shoe to see if they got something. Tradition holds that if they were naughty, they get a potato. A big part of the build-up to the Yuletide for Icelandic children are the Yule tree balls and the so-called Little Yule. Children gather around the tree, hold hands and sing songs. The confusing bit is that a lot of the songs have almost nothing to do with the old. There is a song about Sleeping Beauty, Sleeping for a Hundred Years, and about Adam and his seven sons. This may or may not be Adam of the Bible. A popular song puts the singer in the role of someone who has walked over sea and land. Yes, walked over sea and meets an old man and asks where he lives. This is repeated over and over again, with the old man answering at different times that he is from crying land, laughing land, and sneezing land. Each of these lands has a set of dance moves for the children to perform. The song ends with an uncharacteristically boisterous chanting of I am from Iceland, Iceland, Iceland the good. Another song explains what young girls, boys, old women and men do. And according to the song, what they do is conform to various antiquated gender roles. Another song, which had luckily mostly disappeared when I was child, is the racist poem Ten Little um, Black Boys. But why are these strange songs part of the Icelandic Yule? tradition. Well, as I mentioned earlier, the Lutheran church had cracked down on singing and dancing, so Icelanders had to use every imported song they knew that were fun to perform around the Yule tree. But there are also Icelandic folk songs that children sing. These often tell us about the Yule lads and Grilla, two of these confused children every year with lyrics which refer to nine Yule lads and not the now standard 13. One of these, which is very old, also includes cryptic mentions of Jón of the Fields and a man named Andres, who was supposed to be given to the trolls, but was literally saved 
by the Yule Bells of Holar Cathedral. No one knows what all this is supposed to mean, and most people don't care. Newer Icelandic Yule songs are often foreign Christmas songs which have been imported and translated. There is also a weird tradition of using original Icelandic lyrics to Italian songs that have nothing to do with Christmas. A modern Icelandic Yule is in most respect analogous to the Christmas in the neighboring countries. The season starts four Sundays before the 25th of December, with the first Sunday of Advent. On each of these four Sundays, a new candle is lit on an Advent wreath. Foreigners who visit Iceland are often confused by a piece of Advent decoration that Icelanders put in their window. This is the Advent light, which, with its seven white light bulbs, reminds many people of the Jewish menorah. This is not a tradition from Iceland's tiny Jewish community, but rather an odd import from our cousins in Sweden. Another import from Sweden is the IKEA Yulgoat, which stands by the parking lot of their Icelandic branch. In keeping with Swedish tradition, the goat has repeatedly been burned down by vandals. Jól is a time of baked goods, and there is still an element of ambition to bake as many types of Yule cookies as possible. These cookies are from all over. The most common is likely the gingerbread cookies. But these baked goods are relatively recent and are contrasted by what my grandmother, who was born in 1912, told me about her youth. She had to make do with a single piece of brown rock sugar for the whole of the Yule season. She licked it a little and then put it away. To this day, Icelandic stores stock up on mandarin oranges before Yule. When fruit was still uncommon here, poor people were lucky to get an apple or an orange for Yule, and this might be the only piece of fruit they got all year. The most iconic piece of Yule treat is the leaf bread. Leaf bread dough is made from flour, water, butter and baking soda. There are variations, but it is a simple recipe. A little piece of dough is flattened with a rolling pin until it's very thin and circular, kind of like a tortilla. These pieces of bread are then decorated with patterns before they are deep-fried. The story of the leaf bread tells us a lot about Icelandic culture. In the 18th and 19th century, Iceland was very poor and there was a shortage of flour. All the same, tradition dictated that every person should get a piece of bread at the oak. So leaf bread requires very little flour for each piece, and the decorations made them look festive. The tradition of the leaf bread is strongest in the north of Iceland, where I am from. It was a family affair where everyone would gather, and there was a spirit of competition about who could make the most beautiful patterns while I would try to make up for my lack of skill by trying to decorate more pieces than anyone else. 
I still make my own leaf bread, though you can buy ready-made today, and my kitchen is filled with family and friends, some from the far-flung corners of the world. The 23rd of December is the Feast of St. Thorlokr. St. Thorlokr was a 12th century Icelandic bishop. His miracles include making blind sheep get its sight back. The fact that his feast day has survived the switch from Catholicism to Lutheranism is rather strange. My theory is that his posthumous work with sheep really endeared him with the Icelandic people. To celebrate this day, people all over Iceland have, in the last few decades, taken up a strange custom from the western fjords. It involves eating a fermented fish called a skate. This is more popular with men than women, and is really a kind of macho thing since the skate smells awful, and no sane person could feel the urge to taste it, unless it was the only thing resembling food available. The men who choose to cook it in their own house are often sent to the grass and other places where the smell can't ruin everyone else's day. The 24th of December is called Alfangadaur. Most businesses are closed or close at noon, and at six o'clock it is said that you'll have started. There is often an almond rice pudding for lunch. In it, a single almond has been hidden, and the person who gets the almond is awarded the almond gift. When I was young, I went to church with my extended family on Alfangadaur. I always felt this was a kind of purgatory that I had to endure before the main feasts. But the church does have beautiful music, so even some irreligious Icelanders tune in to the radio-broadcasted mass that starts at 6 o'clock sharp, with the church bell ringing the yol, as the saying goes in Icelandic. When I was growing up, my family always ate lightly smoked racks of lamb as the main yol dinner. My wife is from the east of Iceland, just below the sheep's tail, and her family always ate a game bird called Rocktarmigan. This smallest bird was traditionally the food of the poor, who couldn't eat any other fresh meat at all. But the custom became more widespread, and now these birds are often sold at high prices by hunters. Since my wife and I are a bit stubborn and like her own traditions, every yule dinner has to have both the lamb and the fowl. The feast ends with the traditional homemade ice cream. After dinner, the presents, which have been placed under the tree, are opened one by one. When I was young, we had visits from a lad bringing presents, but that stopped after my cousin showed me a red Santa suit at the home of my uncle, who is not coincidentally, also named Ole. When the children have started playing with their gifts or gone to sleep, the yule cards are open and read aloud. The cards often include pictures of children, and in the last few decades some people have started including a letter that summarizes the events of the year. 
The 25th of December is called Jóladagur, the day of Jóg. The traditional dish is smoked lamb, served cold with white sauce, potatoes and canned green peas. The 26th of December is called the second day of Jóg, but while the next 10 days are theoretically numbered as the days of Jóg, they are rarely called by those names. The 27th might be called third day of Jóg, but no one refers to the eighth day of Yule. The end of the Yuletide season, the 6th of January, is called the 13th. On that day, or the day after, most of the decorations inside the house are taken down. The 13th marks the end of this liminal season, and there are bonfires, and sometimes people dress up as Grilla or the elves. In the year 1700, Iceland implemented the Gregorian calendar, which cut out 11 days of that year. This had the effect that the 13th day of Jól became more important and was known as the Old Jól, since it was at the approximate date of Jól in the old Julian calendar. Which reminds me of a story my grandfather told me of people in Troublemaker Valley mixed up the dates and celebrated Yol a bit early, and when they found out, they just held another feast on the right day. There was a shift in the Yuletide decorations in Iceland after the financial crash of 2008. People started putting up their Yule lights a little earlier and left them on a little longer into the new year. Those who before had been annoyed by this prolonging of the season were now more likely to either bite their tongue or had learned to enjoy these bright lights in the darkest parts of the year. Yol is, after all, the festival of light. I am Ole Gnestis Oleson, and this has been Stories of Iceland, Yol, not Christmas. Please rate us, like us, and or subscribe. As always, you can visit storiesoficeland.com where you can find extra material such as the songs mentioned here. You can also search for my Spotify playlist, Stories of Iceland, Yule. To contact me, you can use the Facebook page, Stories of Iceland. Thanks for listening. Glad to